What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney Today on What Got You There we are joined by Greg the Beast Gurenlian Greg is a professional lacrosse player with Major League Lacrosse and co-owner of the Faceoff Academy which is the world's premier faceoff training company 2017 will be the final season in Major League Lacrosse for Greg, where he has garnered such accolades as 2015 League MVP, Faceoff Man of the Year, World Champion, and most faceoff wins in a season. In this episode, Greg talks about how he built community in his former company, Brawlic Strength, and how he uses those same principles in the Faceoff Academy. Grenlian discusses staying ahead of trends and how he has built a massive cult following on social media. In addition to talking entrepreneurship and becoming the best in the world at your sport, Greg discusses what it's like being a new father and how that has changed him. After this episode, you will definitely see things in a different light. Today, what got you there is being fueled by Soniva Super Coffee. Soniva provides an organic bottled coffee blended with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil for all-day energy. Grab a bottle at your local Whole Foods market or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. Are you looking to finish the latest thriller, such as The Girl on the Train, while you're at the gym or in the car? Well, now you can. For listeners of What Got You There podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check this out. Head over to www.audibletrial.com forward slash what got you there to choose from over 180,000 titles to select the book you want to hear next. Greg, welcome to What Got You There. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. So before we dive into your story, uh, the method of the madness with the beast, what do you do to start your day? Any morning routines or rituals? Um, my morning routine has drastically changed in the <laughs> last six months. Um, now that I have a, a son um, and I stay home with him uh, most days of the week. So I get up at around six, anywhere between 6.30 and 7.30. And uh, depending on when my wife needs to go to work and uh, I take him downstairs, make my breakfast. He watches me make breakfast. And for some reason he thinks it's funny. So he watches, <laughs> um, then I feed him and we hang out. Uh, and then when he goes down, he, he goes down like clockwork for his 9am nap. So that's when I get my shower and start getting work done throughout the day. So that's kind of how my morning starts every day. Gotcha. Yeah, no big change six months ago. We'll definitely dive into that, what it's like to be a father now, but what was your routine like prior to having kids? Any major differences? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for a long time, I was a strength coach in New York City, and I used to get up at 4.45 every day, and I did that for about seven years, um, and I would work from about five or six in the morning until two or three in the afternoon, um, and then my day would end, so I used to just wake up, get a shower, and go, and now uh, when the Faceoff Academy took off a couple of years ago, it changed where my wife would actually wake up before me, she would go to work, and then I'd wake up at eight o'clock. Um, start doing, I'd get my lifts in, I'd start doing, you know, working on the social media aspect of what I had to do. And then I would work in the evening. So I would actually drive to my clinics, uh, three times a week, whether it was in Long Island or Westchester, and then I would get home really late. So I was the one going, working late and waking up early in the morning. Gotcha. Yeah. You mentioned the face off Academy and how you guys have grown their social media. Definitely want to hear about that a little bit later in this call, but for my listeners who are not familiar with you, you want to just give a little background on yourself, who you are and what you currently do. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I'm, I'm from Philadelphia originally. Uh, I went to Penn State University and I played lacrosse there, studied kinesiology. And then when I graduated, I immediately became an assistant strength coach for men's women's basketball at Penn State under Brad Pantall. And then I got drafted to play in Major League Lacrosse. It's a professional sports, uh, you know, uh, lacrosse league. We played during the summer and I was drafted by Rochester, New York. So I was during the week working as a strength coach on uh, coach on weekends, I was traveling to Rochester and playing games. And then um, I moved to New York in 2007 and started working for a Reebok sports club in New York city. And I was traded at the same time to San Francisco dragons. So I was playing on weekends. I was traveling every Friday to play. And during the week I was working as a trainer 
And then in 2008, I started my own company called Brawlic Strength, where I started training people, mostly athletes, um, and I would train them throughout the day. And then on weekends, I was then got traded to New York. So it made my life a lot easier. So during the week, I would be a strength coach about 12 hours a day. And then I'd play on weekends in the summer. And then um, we started the Face-Off Academy, uh, which is my position, Face-Offs for lacrosse. And um, we started that in 2012. And I sold my rights to the Brawlic Strength. And I started working with that with a couple of co-founders. And I became one of the co-founders of the Face-Off Academy. And it took off. And uh, I guess the rest is history. I've been playing for the New York Lizards ever since. This is going to be my final season in Major League Lacrosse as I do Face-Off Academy full-time. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate how humble you were there, but let's get this one straight. I mean, you are the best in the world right now at face-offs, uh, going to be representing Team USA next year. You've been MLL face-off man of the year, MVP, so an unbelievable background. But I want to know about the young Greg. What were you like middle school, <laughs> high school, prior to get recruiting at Penn State? I started playing lacrosse my freshman year of high school. So growing up, the first sports that I actually played in um, – was martial arts. I started taking karate when I was like six. Um, and my parents let me do pretty much anything I wanted to try. I was the oldest of four. Um, so I was kind of the guinea pig and I tried all kinds of sports. The only sport I wasn't allowed to play was football. Um, but I did pretty much everything else. So, uh, karate and wrestling are two of the things that I excelled at at a younger age. And, um, I, I, kind of kept to myself a lot with a lot of things. I had friends and stuff, but I was really big into like drawing and reading comic books. I'm a total comic book and sci-fi nerd to this day. Um, and then uh, when I started, I was actually very good at soccer. That was kind of my, my natural sport. And then my freshman year of high school, I picked up a lacrosse stick to play with my friends. And, um, you know, I wasn't very good at first. So for people who don't know about lacrosse, face-offs happen at the beginning of every quarter and after every goal. And basically it's a wrestling match between two players to get possession for the ball after every goal. And since I couldn't catch and throw yet, um, I thought, Hey, I'll try, I'll try the face off position because that way the ball's already on the ground and I can just get it out to somebody who actually has stick skills. And, um, I, apparently I was a natural at it and I developed my skills as time went. So I played a lot of sports and I think my ability to, uh, my wrestling background and stuff really helped a, a lot for me to have that natural ability to start playing lacrosse. Yeah, you mentioned the wrestling, and wrestling is such a one-on-one -on -one sport where you've got to be in your in your own head and be so tough. Mm -hmm. Do you think if you didn't have that background, you'd be as successful as you are at the face-off position? Certainly not. I mm -hmm. uh, I think I think karate give give gave me the best mentality. Um, you know, when I look at, I'm the oldest of four, like I said, and I have two younger brothers who also faced off, but I taught them uh, when they were younger and. Neither one of them particularly wrestled and neither one of them uh, did karate. And we're all from the same genetic gene pool, but they are very like they don't have any kind of flexibility. Um, and I'm extremely flexible. But I also think the best part about martial arts is having that sensei. And I had a sensei, Jamal Benin, who, who was a, an extension of your dad. And um, I, I learned a lot of discipline and I learned the the gains that can be made when you are selfless and you give up the idea of, you know, being all about yourself and you become part of a community. Um, and I think that really helped me mentally get through a lot of things. You mentioned that sensei role. How important do you think that is for kids today to have, whether it be a mentor, a sensei, a coach they can look up to and learn from? I think it's more important than it's ever been. I think, you know, especially being a father now, I, I could see how quickly things can turn. The social media world uh, has changed everything messages can get into a kid's mind at, an, at lightning paces. Now, when I was growing up, I had no idea what a kid from Ohio thought, you know, and, and now someone from halfway across the world can message a kid on Instagram and ruin their life. And uh, it's a scary thing right now. And I think I take the part of being a mentor very, very seriously when I do stuff. And I think um, any of the coaches that work with us at the Faceoff Academy are taught very quickly that before you work with us, you have to understand the ethical, the moral, and the psychological part of what it, being a coach is. And I think too many people chase the dollar signs, but they don't understand what kind of effect, positive or negative, you can have on a kid 
um, with the way you act. You know, my parents never taught me to hold doors open or, or to say please and thank you. I just knew to do it by watching them. And I think respect is given um, because the people that you look up to do it. And uh, I, I, take a, I take it very seriously. No, I love that approach. How do you think, because I, I feel like you do a great job dealing with social media now. I mean, tens of thousands of followers. Obviously, every time you make a post, there's going to be negative comments. What do you say to the young kid who's listening to this who might post something and all of a sudden he's got 10 negative comments coming his way? Comments can affect you. Your reaction to comments can affect you. If I have a kid on my Instagram page that I, you know, we live in a world right now where you can't say something positive about somebody without someone taking it as an offense. So if I post a picture of a kid that I think had a great weekend and I want colleges to see him, uh, you know, because a lot of coaches follow me on Instagram and Twitter say, hey, you know, Jeff, you had a great weekend. And I post a picture of him winning a face off immediately the first thing you see is either the kid who's losing the face off comments saying, you know, this isn't fair, take it down. Or, you know, the kid who's losing the face off, five of his friends tag him in it and say, Oh, look at you. You're losing a face off. Ha ha ha. Um, it's just like, it's relentless. And, uh, so what I do is I tell guys, look, there is a block button and you should use it. If somebody says something to you on Twitter, uh, that you don't like block them, you don't have to respond to them. The, this, this full-time, this full-time, uh, job of being a troll seems to be popping up everywhere where people say things because they just want a reaction. And I, I look at Instagram and I see kids, they'll, they'll say things to me that they would never want their parents to know they say to me. Right. Um, but they'll say it to me and that's their version of egging a house. They want to get some kind of reaction back from you. So I don't give it to them. I don't give them that, that, you know, satisfaction. Instead, I just block them. And then all of a sudden their friends all make fun of them. Cause I got 55,000 kids that follow me, but this kid can't see what I'm posting and that's their punishment. Um, and you know, look, I look at it this way. If your parents aren't going to teach you some stuff, then I'll teach you something. I I'm fine with that. Yeah, no, I love the messaging that you send out. And I think kids can really look to you on ways to do it the right way and get a more positive message out of that. I'm curious though. I mean, how did you become the best in the world at what you do? I know it's a pretty open-ended question, but I know there's got to be some type of methodical process that you've done over the years to be so good. Well, I appreciate that. I, I think, well, I, I can, I can bring it back to one defining moment. Um, when I was playing lacrosse, when I started in high school, I never thought I'd be able to play in college. And then all of a sudden I was playing in college. I never in a million years thought I'd play pro. And then I was playing pro. And what I was, was a full-time strength coach who took that very seriously. And I played lacrosse on the weekends. And then when I blew my knee out uh, in 2011, I sat on the couch the entire summer and it really hit me like, man, I love playing lacrosse and it might be, might have been taken from me. And I think the ego part of it, of thinking like, I don't want to end right now. And something's trying, you know, so it's something's being taken from me really kicked in. And the also the realization of, wow, like I was good at something and my whole life, I've never just kind of been okay with being good at something. I've always can, been kind of obsessive about it. That's why I don't honestly have too many hobbies because I get too obsessive when I try to start doing something. Um, so I decided that I was going to apply my knowledge of kinesiology, biomechanics and my wrestling background. And I was going to create a system for coaching face-offs um, because I was just going stir crazy. I, I couldn't work for a couple of weeks. I was, you know, my leg was up in the air. So I started doing that. I, I broke it down from the very basics. Um, and I changed the way I ever looked at the game. I looked at it from angles and momentum and getting to the ball first uh, based on that rather than just being athletic. I used to just stand up and swipe at the ball. And if it went forward, I would just take it down, dive on my face and score. And yeah, fans loved that, but it wasn't making me an efficient face-off guy compared to what I had talent-wise. Now I created a system where I can possess the ball and I can actually divide the field up in different spots. And um, it made it very easy for me to break down my opponents. So when I came back in 2012, I changed my stance. I changed the way I approached the game. And I had a career year. And I broke these records. And I was like, okay, there's something to this. And then I taught my brothers the system. And uh, my brother was... My brother, Mike, went on to play at Cabrini 
broke all their face-off records. Um, then I started teaching some kids in the, in the city how to face off and they started getting scholarships. And I was like, okay, there's definitely something to this. Um, and, and then what that did was me breaking the system down helped me incredibly. And then when you coach something five days a week and then go and play on weekends, you're just so much better as opposed to teaching strength and conditioning and then just picking up a lacrosse stick on Friday. So I saw the immediate impact of that. And then I decided that I was just going to look at the game and I wasn't going to be emotional. I was going to be analytical. And that changed everything. I wasn't as fiery. I didn't have the high highs or the low lows. Instead, I just, you know, I, I kept my approach very analytical and I was able to break my opponents down biomechanically. And I think, you know, that combined with my knowledge of strength and conditioning and my ability to stay in shape and fend off injuries, um, I think has given me the staying power that 99% of face-off guys don't have in the end of the line. I was so intrigued how you were going to answer this question. I didn't think that's how you were going to respond, but I am so jacked up. That's the direction you went with this. Just, <laughs> just reviewing your stats and everything, you can clearly see that you got re-motivated, redetermined after that knee injury. And just side note, was your knee injury at Hofstra? Yeah. Okay, I'm pretty sure I was with Denver that game, and I remember seeing you go down. So it's been so fun watching your progress from that date. And then I also, so we'll get more into the Faceoff Academy, the entrepreneurial side of that, but you mentioned the science of faceoffs. And for anyone who hasn't seen the sport of lacrosse, you truly have broken this teaching method down to a science where I think an avid fan or a novice fan might just watch and see guys scrapping around. But the science you teach is unbelievable. And we'll definitely have to link up some of your coaching videos because you truly teach this at a different level than anyone else on the planet. And I, I would say that you are having the biggest impact on college lacrosse right now based on the amount of kids you've coached at the face-off position and the importance it is to that sport. So I, I feel comfortable in saying that you are having the biggest impact right now on college lacrosse from a high school level. It's pretty cool to see that. Thank you. It's, uh, you know, I think it, we came in at a great time before the face-off academy before i started teaching it it was just guys were just doing it for fun um so they were either just teaching cheating or it would be like okay well this is what i do and this works for me uh no one sat back and said no 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 this is science and this is scientifically how you can do it the perfect way uh the difference between face-offs and everything else is the ball is always in the same spot right so you teach attack or you teach defense there's, two, there's so many variables. Uh, with face-offs, the ball is always to your right. It's always in the same spot. And your opponent is always in the same spot. So it makes it way easier to break down the mathematics of it. What about your decision to make 2017 your final season with Major League Lacrosse? There were a couple variables, the largest of which being my son being born. Um, What's that like, the moment you have a kid? There's nothing like it. You know, I, I've wanted to be a dad for a very long time, and I was very excited to be a father one day. Um, and even when it happened, you're like, whoa, <laughs> not ready for the, for how much I love this thing that I thought about for years. Um, and being a father just fits me. I just love being a dad. And, uh, you know, uh, my wife has been unbelievable. She's my number one fan. She has let me live this life of, playing lacrosse on weekends and I'm in the social media world. And, um, you know, she's been very cool about the travel that I have to do and have, and you know, everything. And, and she's done her dues, man. And I just think that now that we have a kid, it, it was time. And next year is the world games. And I wanted to take one more shot at that. I, I figured, you know what? I can't do both next summer. The travel would be too much. The demand would be too much on my body. I have done pretty much everything I could ever have dreamed to do and more in the NLL. I don't have anything else that I need to accomplish, at least on my own personal thought process, but I don't have a gold medal. And playing one more time with that USA on the chest would be incredible. So that's why I said, you know what, I'm going to give up everything next year and I'm going to put all my eggs in that basket, try out and hope I'm on that team. That's exciting. Do you think your preparation for that will be like no other preparation for an event in your history? Yeah. 100%. The thing about it is the international face-off game is completely different than the MLL now. A few years ago, the MLL had similar types of rules to the international play. 
But now the MLL is coincides with college and high school. So it's a much wider open, quicker, cleaner face off as opposed to international rules. Guys are, you know, they're two or three fingers up on the plastic. They're leaning tight over the ball. It's a very quick whistle. You can keep the ball in the back of your stick and exit with the ball stuck in the back of your stick. Um, it's a completely different uh, mechanic. And I didn't want something else to be kind of retroactively interfering with that. I, what I wanted was to just focus on international face-offs, practice those for an entire year. Um, one of my all-time rivals, um, one of the best people I've ever gone against, Jeff Snyder is Canada's face-off guy. Um, and I know he's laying low doing the exact same thing. And I know everything inside out and backwards about Jeff. And I just feel like it's on me to make sure I'm prepared because if somebody else goes out there against him, I just feel like it just wouldn't be a fair fight. How do you become better with age? Because clearly, based on your career, you've been able to do that. I'm wondering, has your training, has your preparation, has it changed as you've gotten older? You know, I, I learned because um, I have made progress. I've literally grown up in the MLL, right? I've been in the, I've been in the MLL for a third of my life. And I went from this fiery athletic guy who just wanted someone to tell him that he was doing okay um, with a chip on his shoulder to a veteran who looks at the game completely different. Um, I've gotten better because I've, well, one, obviously, have I broken the game down, uh, but two is I can self-correct now. So when you look at my games, if I go against, say, you know, this season I'm facing off against guys who are literally 11 years younger than me. And I've had, a, I've had back-to-back games where I go against a kid. Maybe he goes over 50% against me in the game. I study the film. And then the next game I go 24 for 29. And because I have the ability to break somebody down and find their weakness. And I've gotten better with age. I'm not as fast. I'm not as big. I'm not as strong as I was when I was 25. But I keep getting better because I'm breaking the game down differently than other people. Some guys, they lose, they have a bad game. They'll blame it on the refs. They'll blame it on, you know, their wings. They'll, you know, maybe they'll say that, you know, they weren't feeling well that day or whatever. For me, I just go to the tape and I just find a weakness. And, um, you know, I, I, it's, you can't trade experience. No matter how good of an athlete you are, you can't trade experience. And I've also trained in a different way. I used to be just a meathead who just wanted to get big and strong. But now at certain points, you have to realize like it's way more about being prepared. And I've taken a little bit more of like the, the European soccer approach where they focus a lot more on prehab uh, and injury prevention than Americans do, where we focus mostly on strength training. So in the offseason, I strength train. But when the season comes in, everything is about feeling as good as I can on game day. And that's where I've tailored off with as much heavy lifting in the year during the season. And now I just focus on feeling good and feeling flexible. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I definitely want to dive into kind of your diet, your exercise routine and all that. But you mentioned being in the league for one third of your life. Who are some of your favorite teammates of all time and what lessons did they teach you? When I got into the league, I had some really cool guys that I was literally just my eyes were I couldn't believe I was suiting up in the same field as these guys. Uh, I went against Paul Canabine, who was one of my idols. Um, and in my opinion, he was one of the best faceoff guys of all time. Um, and I faced off against him my rookie year and I learned that was like a, a master's course in faceoffs, um, going against him. And then, uh, you know, I had, I had Kevin Cassis, who was one of the best players ever, uh, on my team with me in Rochester. And he taught me, you know, just kind of the, the, the life of playing in the sport. Um, Chris Schiller, I think is one of the best teammates on earth in any sport that you could ever find. He taught me a lot. He was a Penn State guy as well. Took me under his wing when I was in Rochester. Um, and then, like, kind of modern day, you know, I look at guys who are totally selfless. You look at Kevin Understein. I think Kevin Understein is one of, is probably the best all-around lacrosse player ever. He played offensive midfielder at Hofstra. Uh, then he comes and he's, one, he's the best defensive midfielder in the world. We had him pick up a long pole and he played close defense for us the first three games. And he was taking the ball away from some of the best attackmen on earth. Um, he just plays, he plays head down, does his job, doesn't want any, you know, doesn't make a big deal out of what he does. Uh, and then, you know, Drew Adams and I have played at every level together. We played in high school, college and the pros and then team USA. And, um, you know, it's really special to be able to finish my last season with him and hopefully with team USA next year. So those are some of my favorite teammates. And then I have Jerry Raganese has, has been my backup on the Lizards for a few years now. 
um, having him has been so valuable. So he's, it's like having a coach on the sidelines with you. So um, those are some of the names that really stick out for me. Yeah, no, it's funny. A lot of the guys you just mentioned, I know or have gotten to play with, and yeah, their character is just unbelievable. Such great guys. I'm curious, what do you think about the sport as a whole? And then where do you see it progressing over the next five to 10 years? Do you think it has the ability to be a mainstream sport? I do think it has the ability, but I feel like the industry of lacrosse has to get out of its own way. So, and what I mean by that is there's so, there's, there, the problem with lacrosse is there is money to be made, but I think people need to realize that everyone can make some money and you don't have to tread on other people to do it. And I, you know, I see these club programs eating each other. Um, I see a lot of in the industry, a lot of people bad mouthing each other. Um, there's a billion kids picking up lacrosse sticks for the first time every year. And I feel like people are so obsessed with making a buck that we're not doing right by the kids as much. And, you know, recruiting, thankfully, hopefully it chills out a little bit. I think with the new, you know, they had kids were committing before they even played eighth grade lacrosse, which was getting totally out of hand. <laughs> um, and it gave me nothing but headaches. And now they're, the legislation has pushed it back to September 1st, your junior year, where you're allowed to make any contact with coaches. I know some people are still going to go around rules, but at least that helps. Um, if lacrosse can find a way to just shake hands and put up a white flag for a second, everyone can just chill out. Then I think we could be good. Like for instance, 2015, the MLL, I thought had reached like probably its best year yet. We were everywhere. We were on watch ESPN. You could watch us anytime. We were on CBS sports. You could find local channels where, you know, I know all of our lizards games were on MSG. Um, you know, games were being announced and, and played in bars and people were watching and, um, I know the, the the championship game we played Rochester was a packed house in Atlanta. Um, everyone felt really good about the direction things were going. And then, um, you know, we started Lack Sports Network, and I thought that was a good move, but the players weren't behind it. And I felt like it divided everybody. And now we're at a point where you can't get any games anywhere unless you're paying you know, $6 a month, which to me is worth it as a lacrosse player. But what we're realizing is new viewers aren't coming into the fray because someone who's never watched lacrosse isn't going to suddenly have a lightning bolt moment and say, I feel like paying six bucks for something new. I think it's going to be lacrosse and then just sign up for an online subscription. So we don't have a way of really reaching new viewers. And the reason I'm focusing on ML lacrosse is because you have the best players on earth playing with the best rules, the fastest rules. Um, so anybody who goes to an ML game and anybody who watches on TV is not going to be bored. They're going to be, they're going to be entertained. Problem is, is we're not getting new viewers and it's stunting growth. And that's, that's a serious issue. And I feel like we need to find a way to get people back on track. Now, the problem is, is you have professional lacrosse, major league lacrosse is playing throughout the whole summer. You have college lacrosse plays in the spring. And then you have the indoor lacrosse, National Lacrosse League, that plays from the fall all the way through into the spring. And then these kids are playing club summer tournaments all summer and then into the fall. It's like, dude, there's no there's no season anymore. So people are just getting wiped out with lacrosse. So we have to find a way where the NLL, the MLL can come together and consolidate this league. And a lot of the players have been talking about it. And I've made a vlog recently that we're going to release about us discussing those players. But we think if you had indoor lacrosse every Friday night, and then you had college lacrosse on Saturdays, and you had pro lacrosse in the spring on Sundays, everybody would get a chance to have their day. Everybody would get a chance to watch it. And we would all stay out of each other's way. And then we wouldn't spread this sport all the way through people's vacations and into the club lacrosse season and into football season. And that's the, that's the issue we have right now is yeah, plenty of kids are picking up sticks, but the problem is, is it can't get mainstream unless it has pro lacrosse that people all over the country watch. That would be like there being no NFL, but yeah, we're saying, Oh yeah, a lot of kids are playing football over the country. That's great, man. But it's not considered a mainstream sport unless the pro level is watched. Right. So that's kind of the issue we have right now. 
Gotcha. Yeah, no. I mean, like you mentioned, you got to pay the subscription. How are we going to get new viewers to this sport? And I'm, yeah. I'm very interested to watch that vlog of yours uh, talking about that. And we'll also link up the vlog in the show notes. I've had a great time following you throughout the past few months during that. But we have a ton of entrepreneurs who listen to this podcast. I want to shift more towards that, how you went about growing your business, your social media following. I mean, how did you even start? Were you entrepreneurial as a kid? Did that transition after you started playing pro? You know, it's funny. I I was never entrepreneurial as a kid. I grew up thinking I want to be a gym teacher. I want a pickup truck and I want a family. I just want to just chill. <laughs> and um, <laughs> a little different with, now, though, huh? <laughs> yeah. But you know what? To this day, I still think it would be a phenomenal life. Um, but then I got into college and um, I wanted to be a strength coach. I changed my focus on that. And when I graduated, you have two ways you can go about it. If you're going to be a strength coach, you can either work for a company and that company would be, you know, I want, I wanted to work at Penn state. I want to be an assistant strength coach at Penn state and then maybe go to another big 10 school like Florida or something and be one day, maybe be a head strength coach. The problem is, is your hours are dictated by the coaching staff. You, what you're allowed to do is dictated by the NCAA and your tree as far as where you can go and what you can do there's a definitive ceiling there it's not like head strength coach jobs at division one big time schools are popping up left and right and even if you do get that head job like i said you're still handcuffed by what the coaches want what the ncaa is allowed letting you do so i was planning on getting my master's and working at penn state uh, as a grad assistant and my buddy derek house who also studied kinesiology at penn state he told me hey man before you go into grad school, why don't you just come live in New York for a year and work at this gym that I'm working at, Reebok Sports Club. He's like, you're overqualified for it. You have a kinesiology background. You live and breathe this stuff. Try it out. Went in for the interview, got the job right away. And within two weeks, I had moved to New York and I was living in a very tiny room that I was renting from a random person, um, as most New York stories go. So I was working at Reebok Sports Club and I realized that in the private sector, it wasn't about qualifications. It was about selling yourself, right? So you had to, you had, for the first time in my life, I wasn't working and getting paid based on my hours. I was getting paid based on my performance as far as how many people wanted to come train with me. So you have to provide something. The first time in my life, I'm thinking, I have to provide something that nobody else does. I'm in this gym. How can I get people going? So rather than just take the leads when someone signs up and just kind of like be a friend with somebody for an hour. I decided I was going to be that person in the gym who really pushed people. Cause I was like, if I can be, if I can kind of establish myself as the person who is like super passionate and get people to come. And basically I wanted people to gravitate towards me when they were on the floor and they weren't even training with me. Right. So my thought process was you're not just the things you say, you're not just saying them to your client, but you're saying them so people around you can hear and maybe you can get a couple people to be like, huh, man, that guy, like, I would love to work out with that guy. He really, like, he's pumping that person up like they're getting after it. And it tended to work out. And the people that gravitated towards me were my, my kind of people. They were athletes. They were somebody who, like, you know, really wanted to get in shape, change their lives. Um, and that's the way it worked. I was training someone. Someone would come up and ask me my information. And what I decided was, okay, I'm in this building. I'm starting to build a client base. And I'm starting to fill my hours up, but I want more. I want my clients. I'm big on loyalty. I want my clients to feel like, man, like if this guy ever walked away, then I would be in trouble because, you know, they, they get attached to the, the way you dive into their lives, the way you help them, um, the way you provide a 24 seven service. I was known for if they texted me at night and said, Hey, you know, I'm at dinner. What should I order? Like I was all about that. So I started a blog. It's called the Brolic blog and it was on WordPress and I started and it was very satirical. It was very like, um, you might read it today and be like, yo, this dude was kind of angry. <laughs> this guy's talking about, you know, food, but he, he seems like he wants to throw it at people. Um, <laughs> but you know, and, and I was, I was, I was super energetic. I was over the top cause I was actually really excited about building a business for the first time. And, um, so I got, I gained this following and then I started taking people and I said, look, I'm going to start a class out in the park. And we're going to call it Brolic in the Park. 
And all my clients were like, that's awesome. So I would literally drag a bag of kettlebells and ropes and stuff into the park. And we would just train together in stations. And we started getting a big following. And then all of my clients, I put them on one email list. And I would email everybody. And I once a month, I would send like a monthly email out. Just like, this is what we're going to do. Um, this is what I'm looking at. Here's an article I read that I think could help you guys. And I decided I wanted to tie it all in and create a group of people. Like I wanted them to feel like a community. So I did a thing called the, um, the end of the year, the Brawlick belt championships. I literally went out and got a WWF like type belt that had the Brawlick logo on it. (laughs) I went out and I got the LLC Brawlick strength LLC. And I bought that and I created a logo and a website and everything. And then at the end of the year, we had test outs where all of my clients had the same exact 10 things that they had to test out in based on their body weight. And the winner point wise would win the brawl championships and they would get a couple free sessions and they get to wear the belt for a year. And it became an obsession. Everybody loved it. And next thing you know, they're all getting food together. They're all hanging out together. They're going out on dates and, and we're all like meeting out at a bar and stuff. And I created this community and I was really pumped about it. And, um, you know, I ended up, they, you know, most of them came to my wedding. Um, and one day I decided that I'd had enough. I didn't want to be in this gym anymore. I wanted to go out on my own. So rather than buy a gym for all you strength trainers out there, there's this thing's becoming something that's becoming more prevalent is gyms are being opened and they're private training gyms. So you pay, you know, whatever it is, 20 bucks an hour to use this gym And then you charge your clients whatever you want. And that's what I did. I I had two gyms. One was on the west side of the city. One was on the east side of the city. And depending on which day of the week it was and who you were, you signed up and blocked off time weekly for one of those two spots. And that's what I did for years after that. I, I would go to, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I would go to the west side, Tuesday, Thursday, I'd go to the east side. Um, and that's the way I trained. And I had specific hours. I then had enough of a following where I could say, look, guys, these are the only hours I'm going to train. And I was able to kind of raise my prices a little bit. And I was able to work, kind of cut the hours back a little bit. So I had some kind of quality of life. And I was wheeling and dealing. I was fine waking up at 445 in the morning because I got out of work at 2. And it was like clockwork for a very, very long time. It was great. I had a great rapport with my clients. Most of them, I had the same clients for years uh, from day one. And uh it worked out really, really well. It was, it was really sad when I had to let that go um, when I started the FOA, but that's where Brawlick started. And that's where I really got my, my gears going as an entrepreneur, where I had to create something from scratch and claw my way out of something. You know, the problem with the training world was if you and I meet and I'm a lacrosse player and you say, what's your name? Oh, Greg Renling. Oh, I have immediate credibility with lacrosse players. So it was easy to get the FOA going, but with strength training, Hi, I'm Greg Renlian. Okay. Um, now I have to prove to you that I'm a better trainer than the person you've seen before. Right. So that was the real sticking point was I had to really prove to you. I knew what I was doing. How do you determine your worth? You talked about raising your prices. How do you understand the market and know what your value is? It's a great question. So the problem was, is you look at a linear model, right? There are a definitive amount of hours in a day. And based on what you charge, that is the ceiling in which you can make each day. So what I was doing was I was looking around and I was talking to random trainers that you befriend, you know, when you go to gyms and they, you know, you ask just in passing, like, you know, how much do you charge? Um, What happened was when I was taking people out privately, the gym I was working at was charging people $110 an hour. They were paying the trainers 20. (laughs) So the margins that they were making were pretty insane. So my thought process was, hey, I'm going to leave this gym. If you come with me, you don't need a membership fee, but I'll, and I'll only charge you 90 bucks an hour. And it was like, done. You mean I I can work out with you three times? Most of my clients were people that only trained when they came, when they came to train with me. Right. So they all trained either three or two times a day. I mean, uh, two times a week. And the rest of the time, they kind of just went on a run of their own or whatever. So for them, it was like, man, I'm saving like $250 a month on, on the fee for the gym. And I'm saving $20 an hour on the, on paying Greg. And I get to still train with Greg done. Um, so when I left 
that gym, Reebok was not happy with me. <laughs> 30 people canceled their memberships within that week. And I swear they had a sniper on the roof if I walked into that gym. Um, so that's where my base started at 90. And then what I did was I said, you know what, if, if you are going to stay with me, then I'm just going to grandfather you in. So I kept a lot of those people at $90 an hour for a long time. But what you do is incrementally based on the market and based on how good you think you are, uh, you'll raise that price for incoming clients. So what I did was I said, okay, so here's the model. What I'm going to do is I'm going to reward people for training with me for a longer period of time. So you could buy 30 sessions, 20 sessions, or 10 sessions at a time. The 10 sessions, $150 a session. So that's a $1,500 package. And then we did we we knocked it down, you know, 10 or 20 bucks for 20, and same thing for 30 per session. And that way, you rewarded people who were, you know, sticking with you for a given amount of time. Um, and in order to get people in the door, what I always said was, first one's on me, first session's free because I want to show you exactly how good I am. And you can only do that if you believe deeply in yourself. Um, and my return rate on that was almost 100%. When someone came in that first time, they 99.9 time came in a uh, second time and bought a package. So, um, you know, and that's the tough part for younger people. I tell, you know, I'm mentoring right now one of our new coaches that are coming on with FOA. And I told her, I said, what you have to do in this, and, and if you're going to be an entrepreneur in anything, is one, you have to know this stuff so deeply that no one can question your expertise. So that's step one. I don't believe that you can be that good at this, at least in a real way, unless you are so deeply convinced in your own right that you are a total master of this. Then if you do that, step two comes and that's where you have to know your worth and you don't budge on that. So if somebody comes to me as a face-off coach and says, Hey, you know, I want you to just come over to this field for me and work with my 20 kids and I'll pay you like 200 bucks. It's like, I will absolutely not do that. <laughs> There's zero shot. I'm doing that. Um, and, and that's just because you have to know your worth because people will take advantage of you. that's, the, that's the real world, right? So if you're a young kid, the way a person will approach you in business is completely different. If you're 22 years old, as opposed to if you're 40 years old, right? Because that's just a, a, someone who is seasoned will look at you and go, I can get a lot out of this person because they don't know any better. Um, so you have to be an expert. And then once you're an expert, know your value. And for me, it was, I'm not going to budge on my prices. And if you don't think that I'm worth that, then I, I don't have any anger towards you. Feel free to go train with a person who's not as good as I am. And that's totally fine because I understand this is expensive. And that's just the way I looked at it. And it, it, it paid off in spades because I didn't waste my time with people um, that didn't understand my value. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www audibletrial.com forward slash what got you there. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. I'm a huge fan of Audible and definitely recommend checking it out. If you're looking for a way to stay energized throughout the entire day, grab a bottle of Suniva Super Coffee. Suniva is something I drink on a daily basis. It's an organic bottled coffee blend with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil, which provides me with clean, all-day energy. Head to your local Whole Foods or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. Suniva was founded by three college athletes who are brothers and wanted a cleaner way to stay energized throughout the entire day. One thing I think you're unbelievable at is building community. You mentioned that with the gym business and then what you've done so well with the Face Off Academy. How do you go about building that community? And with social media today, how quickly everything changes? How do you stay on top of trends? Well, thank you. I well, first off, I'll answer the second one first because it's easy. I'm around kids all day. <laughs> <laughs> Just picking their I brains? Well, I'm well aware of trends, <laughs> uh, both good and bad, unfortunately. Uh, but the, the first question, um, I think community is huge. When you look at the CrossFit model, that's something they did very well. And people are like, oh, it's a cult. It's not a cult. It's a community. They, they created something, whether you like it or not. I mean, I'm not a CrossFit person, but I get what they did. They took the idea, especially for athletes, and said, hey, man, don't you miss like being part of something? Don't you miss like being in the gym 
and training with like your teammates, come over to this gym. We're going to give it our, its own vernacular. So, so part one is create your own vernacular, right? You create your own ecosystem. So they said, no, 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 it's not a gym. It's a box. Okay, dude. Okay. We'll call it a box. All right. So now it's a box. And now we're, the workout of the day was something that's been used in the strength training industry for years and years and years, but they called it a wad. Now it's a wad guys. Yeah, it's a wad. Okay. Yeah. Are you doing the wad today? Let's go to the box and do the wad. Okay. So now they created their own vernacular. So now you feel part of something. And that is one of the most elemental desires for anybody. Go to any tiny kid and play peekaboo with them. Even as a total stranger, you'll be their favorite person in a minute. And the reason is, is that kids love being in on something. So if I look at a kid and I go peekaboo and I cover my eyes and then I do it twice, they're like, oh, he's going to do it again. Oh, he's going to do it again. And they're in on the joke. That doesn't change. It just becomes more sophisticated. So for adults, we love the fact that, oh, yeah, we know what a wad is. That guy doesn't know what a wad is, though. He's not a CrossFitter. You know, and then they start training together every single day. And then they multiply that and they create competition within the community. So now you have the box and all the people who train at it are training for a competition. They might call it a regional or whatever against the guys across town at the other CrossFit box. So now you've got community and you've got competition within that community. And these people are pushing each other and they're going against each other. And that was the genius of CrossFit. Yes, people are getting hurt at an alarming rate. But you know what? They keep coming back because <laughs> they love being part of the community. So when we started the FOA, all I did was duplicate what I did with Brawler. We created the hashtags, right? Hashtags are easy. FO Army, done. Um, you know, Face Off Academy, FO Army, Face Off Athlete. We started creating our own our own vernacular. Then we started creating our own vernacular as it, as it pertained to our system. So kids all started, oh, yeah, it's a defensive draw. Oh, okay, yeah, that's a, that's a jam, or that's a pinch and pop, or that's a backdoor exit. Um, kids started understanding the vernacular. Then we did the same thing that any other good business does, is we took it and we said, the three owners, original owners, Chris and Jerry and I, we are going to duplicate this with the exact same vernacular, just in different areas. So Chris took over New Jersey. I mean, Chris took over uh, Maryland. Jerry took over New Jersey. I took took over New York. And my brothers took over Philly. And we said, we're going to teach it the exact same way. Same warm-up, same vernacular, same adjustments, same, same everything. So that if a kid from Philly drives up to New York, he will be able to hop in, do everything exactly the same without being lost in any way, shape, or form. It's just a different pair of eyes and a different personality coaching. And kids love that. Um. So what happens is you take that aspect of it. They feel like they're part of community. Then you preach the values. So for us, everybody that was teaching face-offs before taught cheating. We said, we're going to have success with honor. You're going you're gonna to beat everybody, but you're going to do it without cheating. So then the kids' chins start to go up and their chest start to puff out. And then you start getting emails from parents. Oh, it's not just he went 10 for 11. It's he went 10 for 11 and the kid was totally cheating that he went against. And now everyone has this, like, we're beating people. We're all part of this thing together because we're beating the bad guys. And then we had to tie it all in. So what do kids love? They love Instagram. They love shout outs. They love recognition for what they do. So every week when we did our draw days, we would post the winners of every draw day. And that's where the Face Off Academy really blew up because kids started following us and they started so you hear kids every single draw day, man. Hey, Greg, can we take a picture of the final six tonight instead of just the final four? Because <laughs> they want to be on Instagram. They want to get recognition. And, um, you know, that became a huge thing. And we proved our expertise. The proof was in the pudding. The, the coaches were all pros. The kids that were co- learning from us were getting drastically better. Then we started helping with recruiting. So what we did was we said, okay, how can we really help with recruiting? We're going to go out and we're going to offer our services to college coaches for free. So we started telling coaches, we started calling coaches and saying, Hey, we'll come teach you our system and we're not going to charge you a cent. And what they were like, why wouldn't we do that? We went all over the country all fall while kids are playing football and stuff. And we coached all of these college coaching staffs on how we do things. And what we did then was now we have your phone numbers. Now you guys trust us. You understand that we're experts. And then we start calling you for recruiting. So now our kids are getting better. They're part of a community. They have the same vernacular. All the parents becoming friends, 
and all the kids are getting recruited and they're all on Instagram. And from there on, it was easy. It was just, you know, and, and my biggest rule was, look, when you're successful, people who are doing this before you are going to hate us. Never, ever respond. Let bad people say things about you because if a bad, if you have a group of people that don't like you and they're bad mouthing you, it's free advertisement. We had guys the first summer, face-off academy, don't go to the face-off academy, don't go to the face-off academy. And all parents were doing was going, wait, there's a face-off academy? <laughs> and kids were flooding in the door. And um, we never respond. We're always just going to take the high road, do our thing. And we built a community. And the last final piece of this was the National Showcase. So we started the National Showcase the first year. We literally begged kids to come from all over the country. We got about 70 guys paying almost nothing. And it was a national tournament for face-off guys. And we paid a whole bunch of coaches to come. And it was a huge success. The next year, we sold out in 48 hours. And then the next year, we sold out in 24 hours. And now we're actually giving kids golden tickets throughout the summer so they can get online access to sign up early. And the National Showcase brings 250 kids of the best in the country into one room for, for a whole weekend with 40 college coaches coaching them. And parents leave every time going, oh, my God, I would have paid twice as much for this. And now they're all friends. We got kids from Oklahoma and Kansas meeting guys from Long Island, and they're all friends. And that's that, that brought everything in together. So now we're the experts and we have the best event. And it's like, just do what you do, man. Just keep doing what you do better than everybody else. Man, I love how methodical you guys are. Uh, I mean, I'm even wondering, how do you go about taking the risk on something like going out to all those colleges? I mean, that's a huge time and money investment without really being able to see the return that well. How do you guys, as a company with three founders, decide you're going to do that and take that risk? That comes back to the first most important detail is be an expert at something, right? So my thought is, I don't know, I don't know the guys at Marquette but I'm going to offer to come out there and I will fly out there and I will explain how we do this. And if within 10 minutes, if you don't sit there and go, this is the guy we should be talking to all the time, then I don't know what to tell you. And they never, you know, knock on wood, they, no one's ever done that. They've always said, okay, well, I need a kid this year. I need a kid this year that it always turns right into, I trust you now because we know what we're talking about. And it, you have to have concrete, self-confidence uh, in what you're doing and don't alienate it. Don't try to spread yourself too thin. I feel like a lot of guys will come into the league and, you know, they'll have a good year at a, as a face-off guy. Right. And then they sit there and go, oh, okay, well, I'm going to start these camps and we're also going to add attack and we're also going to add goalie. We're also going to be, you know, a sports network. And you're like, dude, you're just a face-off guy. Just be a, be a good <laughs> face-off guy. And that's what I always said. Every time someone tries to come out and buy us out, every time someone comes and says they want to, add something to what we do. I always say the same thing. I'm like, we're just the face-off academy and we're going to be the best face-off academy. Um, but that's the difference between what I do now and what I did when I did Brolic. This is not linear. You can go wide with this, right? So you might do an hour and a half training session, but you can fit 50 kids in there. We can do, we have an app, the FO app, where kids can video themselves with a randomized cadence. All we do is sit around all day now and think about, man, what, what would I have wanted to help me get better when I was in high school? And then we try to make it. And this is where it comes back to my wife. My, my wife has a great job. She's good at what she does. And I've had the, I've had like the, <laughs> the ability to just say, hey, look, yes, you have a successful brawler company, but if you want to do FOA, then just go for it, man. And she allowed, you know, I was allowed to do that because my wife, you know, does what she does. So, um, you know, and I'm older than Chris and Jerry. Chris and Jerry were kind of new to this whole business world and everything. And, and Chris and Jerry and I all had jobs already. So we kind of just started doing it. And then the demand was so big that we left what we did before and took this on. You mentioned your brainstorming ideas or sessions, I guess. So what does your day look like right now? Um, depends on how often Jack's naps. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, seriously, I, my day is mostly filled up. Um, with recruiting, whether it's helping. So it, it kind of goes in tiers, right? So during the summer, it's recruiting craziness. So I got kids who are constantly messaging me about, you know, when should I do my highlight tape? How should I do my highlight tape? Um, do you think, you know, here's my list of schools that I'm interested in. And I got to tell them which schools are a reach and which ones aren't. 
Um, and then I got college coaches who texted me, Hey, I'm watching this kid that you coach. He's doing really well. What's his information? You know? And then, um, you know, I got kids who are, you know, they, they're texting me about, because we're also training full time. So I get all these messages about what we're doing as far as kids wanting to sign up for our events. That's why we brought a director of ops on a couple of years ago. And his job was specifically to get registrations, talk to cities or groups and get, you know, basically his job was to create an event and populate it. And our job was to work with the kids. And that's taken a lot of um, craziness off our plate. So we're able to focus on that. Now, this summer is special because we brought two new guys that we have coached who are all Americans who are now pros onto our coaching staff. Ben Williams at Syracuse, he's going to Minnesota. Jake Withers from Toronto originally, or from Peterborough originally, uh, it was an All-American at Ohio State. So they're going to be joining us, and they're going to be taking over those areas, and no one's ever done face-off training in those areas. So it's going to be huge for us. We also brought on, we started the Draw Control Academy. That's the women's side of things. No one's ever done draw control-specific training on that level before, and we brought Sammy Joe Tracy from North Carolina on. So I'm doing a lot of mentoring this summer um, and we're trying to get them up to speed because we vet who we bring on a lot before they're allowed to coach. So that's kind of like I'm raising a kid and I'm also trying to bring three young pups like up into the rankings so that they're prepared to do what they have to do and be successful. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. I mean, you've got so much stuff going on. So you even mentioned those brainstorming sessions where you're trying to think of new ideas. How do you even find the time or mental capacity to do that to accelerate your business? I got to be honest with you. I don't know. <laughs> Just get no, lucky. It's, it's, you know what it is, is the beauty of group chats right now. So we have a group chat where it's all the FOA guys. We have a group chat where it's just me, Chip, Chris, and Jerry. We have a group chat where it's most of us. We have a group chat where it's Dan and then all the FOA who Dan's our director of ops. Um, so what, you know, what we'll do is when it's a really big thing, Chris and Jerry and I will just kind of be like, Hey, you know what just popped in my head? What if we did an app? And then we would just kind of be like, hey, you know what? That's a really good idea. Let's get on a phone call. And usually our phone calls happen like while we're all in the car go, like, around like 7 p.m. going to our draw days. And we'll talk for like 15 minutes about what needs to be done and how we need to get it going. Um, and that's kind of how we, we do things. We do it on quick conference calls between a small group of us and then us owners then, you know, matriculate that idea down to everybody else and tell them exactly how we're going to do it. Um, the problem with the way we do business right now is we're never in the same room all together at the same time. The only time that happens is when we have our national showcase in December, we're all together for a weekend, but we're focusing on that because that is an enormous undertaking. Um, so we have to have communication has to be incredibly on point and guys have to really, when guys get brought on, they have to understand you are expected to perform at this level. There can't be, you go dark for two days on your phone on a, you know, going crazy on a vacation. There can't be like you were hung over one day and you couldn't show up to a clinic. That'll be an immediate termination. You, you are a face-off Academy coach. That's expected to be a professional at all times. What you do on your own is fine, but we need you. We need to have access to you 24 seven. Cause that's how our business is. We have to be able to get a hold of you. So essentially it's like a company working with everybody working from home every day and assuming that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> so it's not, easy. It's very stressful. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's the price you pay to not have someone telling you what to do, you know, and, and we try to make all of our, all of our different coaches, we're all in the same playing field. We're all equals. Um, and, and we try to treat each other that way. Some incredible advice there. I, I mean, I could go on for hours talking about the business side of things with you. I know your time's tight. So we got one final question before we uh, link my listeners up with you. If you could have them implement one thing into their lives, what would it be? It, it, into the into the listeners' lives? Yep, anything. If you could have one thing, it's the ability to shut up. Like, I don't learn anything when I'm talking, right? The ability to sit back and take a constructive criticism or sit back and take someone's advice. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you have that ability because you're, you're searching for knowledge as we speak. But you can't be afraid to fail because if you're failing at something, you're trying. So when you go out and you have a, a meeting with somebody who might be a potential investor 
when you go out and you think you've hit it on, on the nose, you have this idea. First, ask yourself, are you a total expert? Do you have every answer to what anybody's ever going to ask about this? And if you give that answer, are you going to be able to answer any backup questions? Perfectly. Then go into that meeting and listen to the answers. Don't listen for the answer you want. Listen to the answers you get and take it humbly and, and, and sit there and listen to it and, and dissect it. And then go back to the drawing board and fix. Because I think a lot of times we have this vision in our heads and our emotion clouds the analytics. And I, I'm a victim of it too. I've done it at where you sit there and go, I really want to do this. But then you find out from an expert on something that there might be something that pops up that you had no idea about and you don't take that criticism the way you should. And I think you have to be able to do that. That's awesome. For my listeners who want to stay connected, want to continue to learn from you, where can we direct them? You can go to thefaceoffacademy.com. Um, you can also uh, go to gregbeast32 on any of the social media platforms, um, particularly Instagram and Twitter. And you can also email me at foabeast at gmail.com. Awesome. We will be sure to get all that linked up. Best of luck in your final season this year. We're definitely going to be following along. So thanks so much for the time today. Thank you. Really appreciate it. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.